Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I have a quick ask. If you get value out of listening to this podcast, do me a favor today and go share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at Pia Loves Your Biz so that other people who might benefit from these conversations can hear them. I want to help so many more self-employed entrepreneurs get out of the rat race and start taking charge of their business. And that's only going to happen if I can reach them. And the only way I can reach them really is if you guys share it. So I'm going to need your help spreading the word. It helps more than you know, and I truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you. I've done that. Let's make this more emotionally difficult for you to give me feedback exercise with thousands of people. 70% of people say immediately, I'd tell you about spinach in your teeth, but 30% of people wouldn't even tell you you had spinach in your teeth. And, and when you say, why not? They go, oh, just the idea of having that conversation with you makes me feel uncomfortable. So I couldn't tell you. Whew. And then we go, okay, well, what if your flies are down or, you, or you've tucked your skirt into your knickers as you've come out of the toilet, right? Like, who's going to have that conversation? It's about 50-50. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. So on today's episode, I'm excited to have super badass business owner, Dominic Monkhouse. Dominic is an architect of business growth and a business coach to some very impressively large IT companies. And he became that because he headed up and grew multiple multi-multi-million dollar IT companies himself over the years. And I wanted to invite him on the show after he took my boot camp. He invited me on his amazing podcast, The Melting Pot. And we had such a good time and he's such a riot and he's got so much value to share just about how to think about business, how to think about managing teams, how to think about growth in your business that I had to have him on here to shoot the shit with me a little bit. I'm going to let him take over from here. Buckle up. Here we go. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. You know, we met, I mean, really through like your podcast. Yeah. And and I loved being on it. You're uh you're a special kind of person. You're my kind of guy. <laughs> uh I, I'm actually I'm gonna put you to the test right now. What is the name of your book? Fuck Plan B. Yeah. I <laughs> or F plan B, depending on what rating you have for the show. That's what I was wondering. I was wondering how you, because I had a hard enough time with badass your brand. Freaking <laughs> Forbes won't let me use the word badass. Facebook ads won't let me use the word badass. And then here comes Dominic with F star star. <laughs> and I was right. just curious what you say well, when you get on podcasts. So, <laughs> so I say F plan B. Uh, you do. F plan B. And then, but the thing is, Amazon will let me have that as a title, but they won't let you write F star star K in a review. So that gets oh. moderated out. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Lame. Yeah. I, a ballsy, ballsy move. I like it. You went all the way. Well, you know what? That was the, the decision was actually a branding decision. So we did the rebrand, the cover for the book and the title from the cover came, the title for the book came out the back of that. And then I had, I had a call with a client, a prospective client. And so he said like, you know, we'd like to hire you. And I said, why me? And he said, well, we were talking that we got down to two. He said, he said, and I was listening to your podcast and I was listening to the other guy and somebody else's podcast. 
And he said, one of the things he said in that interview was that there was no place for swearing in the workplace. And I thought, and the client said to me, fuck, he said, how can I work with that guy? I'm going to go with the guy who's got fuck plan B as the title of his book. He said, I'm from Scotland where, you know, we swear, we swear every other word's a swear word. Like I can't work with a guy who can't swear. So, you know, you are, if your brand is working right, you're attracting and repulsing people in equal measure. And that's what I always say. I love that. People are so scared to repel. <laughs> it's like, no, that's what's going to work for you. That's what's going to bring this client and say, fuck it. I'm not going to work with that other guy. Well, otherwise you get people that you don't want. Yeah. I, you yeah. know, I, when I'm talking to new coaches, I say, look, frankly, at the beginning, coach anybody, right? You need to practice because yes. you will be crap. They might be poor customers, but at some point, you've got to go, who do I really like working with? Who can I have an impact on? Work with them. So your book, it's not just fuck plan B, and it's not just build a business, you know, an, a business strategy book. It's for the IT industry. I mean, that's so specific. You say, you say pick a niche, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, I'm <laughs> there you go. super impressed. That's why I wanted you to I come came, on this I show. Came on your, I came on your course. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I, I did your online course and, you know, what's the other bit of advice? The other bit of advice was calculate your day rate. What do you want to earn? How many days do you want to work? There's your day rate. It's not harder than that. Yeah. So I did the same thing. And then it's like, oh, shit, that's way more than I'm charging now. Right. Well, I better put the price up. Did you do that calculation, find out the price and then, and then and then how did you get it to that price? Well, I actually couldn't find myself. I couldn't put the price up there all the way. I, okay. I, you know, I know Tell pricing me. is all in everybody's heads. So I worked out where it needed to be. And then every single time somebody said yes, the next one, there was a price increase and a price increase and a price increase. And nobody ever said no. In fact, still nobody yes. said no to the price. Do you still increase it every time? I do. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the pricing is, as a coach, pricing is one of the places where uh, I actually earn my feedback very often with clients. You mean your work has them earn? Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I, I turn up and, and so, yeah. So, so yeah. often I'm talking to them about price and, and I believe that they're underpricing their work or their day rate or what their product or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, you pull that lever and then I'm free. And, you know, if you can get clients to make that change in the first quarter, then I'm free forever for them. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got one client who, I said, look, I think you're too cheap. I said, I was charging more than you like 15 years ago for IT consultancy. And they're like, oh, yeah, but we only work with big people. I mean, it's like, okay, right, fine. Look, 1%. Could you put the price at 1% this month? Just indulge me. And they all went, well, yeah, well, we probably. So we came back the next month. So did you put the price up? And they said, yes. What happened? Well, nothing. Nobody noticed except sales because it wasn't a round number anymore. I said, well, why don't you try that again then? Because we've now just got a 1% price increase. Go again. So they got to the end of the year and they said, oh, we've done this every month for a year now. There's a bit of admin. Maybe we should think about 5% a quarter. Now people might notice that. So they said, right, we're going to do 1.5% a month because we think we can. So there they are. Another 12 months at 1.5%. So here they are, 25% higher two years later. <laughs> they only did 1.5% after that? After yeah, because well, they still they just wanted to keep it going forever. They're still, yeah. they're still a little bit nervous. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, they're, they're a UK subsidiary of a US business. And the UK, the US CEO rang up and said, hey, how are you guys making so much money? And they said, well, we just keep putting the price up. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, really, what are you doing? 
And they said, well, we just keep putting the price up. So, uh, that wouldn't work here. And so it's just it, price increases are in people's heads. Such a head fuck. Yep. But the other thing I think you said was nobody will pay you more than you've paid. Yeah. And that's another one of these things where, you know, sometimes I meet small business owners and they are thinking about coaching as a cost mm-hmm. and they're not charging enough for their own services. And they're in this, this is a cost thing. And because it's a cost, then they see themselves as a cost to mm-hmm. their clients. And they're in this sort of small business mindset that they'll never be able to get out of because they won't pay money. They're nickel and diming in their business. They're hustling. And then they're a nickel and dime hustle artist to their customers. And so they look at other people doing bigger projects and it's not it's not a skill level at all. They're probably just as skilled as, as lots of other people, but their attitude to the customers that they would want to win and how they would charge for it and then how they treat their employees and and their suppliers, you know, it's all got to be lined up. It's a completely different approach, mindset, way of speaking to people. I mean, I feel like because I talk about that so much and I obviously embody it, like I I drink my own Kool-Aid, I'm like on the other side. I'm like, price doesn't matter at all. What you want, 5,000, 10,000? I don't know. You know, to me, I'm like, if I can get, especially when your prices are at a certain price and when you're building a business of a certain level, it's like, well, yeah, like one client is going to dwarf that. And if I can ever say, oh, one sale, one client, I'm like, eh, whatever it is. I mean, almost in a bad way because I'm not very discerning about pricing. And it's even recently... um, it like came in a little bit in my thought process. I started renting a summer home with my two cousins for like our families and our kids to get Uh together every year. And we're looking at the prices and, you know, we're looking at these houses and it's like, oh, well, a little bit more and you can get that. And it can be exactly on the beach and a little bit more and you can have the pool and a little bit more and it's a nicer, you know, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, in the end, what is the difference between a couple thousand dollars when you're thinking about, yeah, but a cl- one of my clients is $30,000, you know, like people buy my boot camp for a thousand. Oh, so I, I only have to sell one more boot camp this year and we'll get like the pool. Yeah. So, but it goes very quickly. All of a sudden this house is, you know, gone from like 4,000 to like $10,000. And, and you're and you're you're not get, you're not driving. You're getting a, you're hiring a personal hiring your private jet, and you've got no money left. <laughs> I'm just showing that it can spiral out of control because I because I look at everything that way. You know, I look at every every 20 minute increment of my life. That's why I order everything. I'm like, yeah, but is it really worth it for me to go down to the corner store and buy that? I could just have it in one second. My time is worth more than that. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it should be like that is my point. Like I, I'm, I'm being extreme on purpose because I think that this is how when it comes to business and maybe not vacation houses as much, but when it comes to your business, anything you do in your business is going to increase that value. And it's not just that one client. Like I work with you, you're a business coach. I work with you and you help me get that one client. You said it's, it's a wash. Now I'm, I'm free forever, right? Yeah. You didn't just get me that one client. Whatever we did to get that one client, I'm going to do again and again and again. It's practically infinite the value that these interactions can have. And it just boggles my mind that, I mean, it doesn't. I was there too. But it's so frustrating to see people not see that investment in themselves as an infinite return. Well, I, it, I was talking to a fellow coach the other day, and he, we often use Mural as an online collaboration tool. And he said, I said, what are you working on? He said, oh, I'm just doing some murals for a session I've got next week. I'm like, I have a team. 
right? And uh, I remember I, you know, we we sold Pier One, and I and I left. And uh, one of the guys, one of the sales guys who used to work for me, rang me up and said, "Look, can we go for lunch?" And I said, "You yeah, sure? Let me just have." You know, I'll just copy in my assistant and she can sort something out in a restaurant. And he goes, you're the only guy without a job I know who's got an assistant. I said, "Why? <laughs> just because I don't have a job doesn't mean I want to manage my own diary. I mean, that's just I, I'm crap at that. Why would I not have somebody else do that for me? I'd say I just it's a mindset thing. I remember being in a consulting business a few years ago and, you know, the coaches who made the most money, they were all, you know, here's the range of what people were making. The ones who made the most money stood up. Okay, how many staff do you have on your team? And they had somewhere between five and seven people. Thank you very much. Okay, what's the next tier? How many you've got? Two or three people. Down to the guys who were scratching around and worried because they weren't making any money. How many staff have you got? Zero. And it was just this this whole thing. It's like, you know, people spending their time on, you know, I could save two pounds by doing this myself, or I could spend that hour on something useful that builds my business. And I could spend some money to have that done by somebody else. It just, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense, but it makes a little sense in the very beginning, right? You have to have that experience. I do run into people who they're like, yeah, but I don't know how to make sales i don't you know and to me you're you're still in beginner mode you're still in like okay i i haven't closed enough clients you know what there's it's just that there's this transitional period right when you've had enough clients you know you provide value you're no longer new but you're still in the mindset of when you were just starting couldn't find clients it was like yes cash was king because i don't know how to generate money and maybe yeah. that's what it is. I mean, I'm I'm thinking just while we're talking here. It's it's like you have your mind has to evolve with your business evolving. What get what got you here isn't going to get you there. Um, yeah, and, I do. Yeah, I do think though some people can't sell, right? Yeah. Or they or the, it the, for them it's the thing they least like, and and so what they do is is, you know, I meet other coaches who have gone and taken another degree in coaching because they think if they have another certificate. That make that them will, feel better. That, well, it's it's that they will be more attractive, mm-hmm. and actually to they're themselves. attractive <laughs> to themselves and to clients because they, they need. you know, they just oh I just need more knowledge and then everything will be okay. And it's like no, you, what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to go and sell something and deliver it because otherwise you're not gonna get any referrals and you're not gonna have any money. And so you know you see people all the time go into coaching, business coaching from a business career, and I don't know, spend two or three years spending money. Getting certificates, then, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. never getting any clients or scratching around. I had this client, um, I'm still frustrated by it because, you know, talk about not taking action, like t- taking my words to heart and then not working with anyone because they were so set on it being looking a certain way, but then not working with anyone for six, 12 months and coming to me and saying, what do I do, Pia? I was like, go get work with people. The only thing you can do is work with people. I don't care how you have to work with people. If if nobody will work with you for free, that's a problem. You know, if no, <laughs> like that, and it's not something I can solve for you. Go get your first client, work with them for free if you have to, if you really have to, charge the next person a little bit more. And I love your story of the, even if it's the 1%, I think it's, that, that whole 1% increase, and that's basically what I tell people to do. Like start at a price that you feel comfortable with and raise it every single time. Just keep raising it. And you know why we're doing that? Because you need to build your own confidence 
in your yeah. own pricing. And it's the same thing with this, these business coaches you're talking about. You need to work with people to get that. You don't need the certificate. You need to work with people to get that confidence. You get someone value. You, you help someone change their business, especially if you're working with businesses that are already pretty successful. It's really not that hard to help a business make a little bit more money, make a lot more money if they're an yeah. existing business. Yep. Is that what you tell people when you sell them? <laughs> well, I, actually, I say I'm going to make your business more difficult for at least the next 12 months mm. because your business already exists. And they you say haven't. hired. Yeah, that's what I want. Because <laughs> well, they, they, they've probably played tennis or golf. Okay. Right. And so it's like, look, I'm going to, you know, you are disappointed with your performance. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking to me. But you have a business and it's making money because otherwise you wouldn't be talking to me. You couldn't afford to talk to me. You'd be scratching around trying to save it. And it's like, you know, it probably isn't very much, but we're probably going to have to work on your swing or, you know, how you hold the racket. And so I'm going to, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you consciously incompetent about something you didn't know you were shit at before. And sometimes that makes people feel really uncomfortable and can make the CEOs feel really uncomfortable, particularly if they, if their persona is that they're always right and they're, and they're very yeah. successful. So people have got to be able to go there. And if they can't go there, then they're not going to pick me because I'm very upfront about that. And the other thing I say to them is I can only coach because I coach the CEO and their executive team of, of tech firms. And I also say we can only do this if not everybody gets to stay because nobody or not everybody gets to stay, right? The team, the team will change and you've got to be comfortable to, I don't know who's going to go. Sometimes the CEO has an idea, sometimes they don't. But very often the change means that we up the pace and we up the accountability and some people choose to get off the bus. Wow, so, that's, you know, so that's your sales pitch. So that's the thing, yeah, I can help, I can help you, but these things have to be true. Well, you know what's great about that pitch, besides the obvious, like, just really taking yourself out of the running of what most people are going to say if they're comparing <laughs> you to anybody else, which is always good. Um, but you're not doing it for that reason, but that works, is you're going to attract the right people who are the kind of people who say, who realize that growth hurts. <laughs> like, change is not comfortable, but if your business is not doing well and you want it to change, then you need to be uncomfortable. That's really cool. I like that. Well, it's in some ways, I think about it as high, like if you hire a personal trainer, right, or you buy a gym membership. So in the past, I've had clients where we haven't got the results that I would like or they would have liked, and we've parted company. And I, what I've done is I've taught them to squat, but they just didn't do it enough, right? So they weren't prepared to put the weights on and they weren't prepared to do it because it was uncomfortable, you know? And I've got a personal trainer and he comes around every Friday and it's the most miserable 90 minutes of my week. And every Friday I shake his hand and say, I hate you, see you next week. <laughs> and it, but you know, you, you gotta show up and commit. And I used to play team sport, I used to play rugby, you know? And so I was talking to a CEO today and we were talking about, you know, he's their their offices opened back up. Some of the staff have come back to work, and some of them haven't so far. And he was talking about whether you could rely on people in the team. And he used to play soccer, 
So we were talking about that. We were saying, you know, like you'd go to training on a Tuesday in the rain in February and it's cold and it's miserable and it's the last thing you want to do in the world. And you do that because you're in a team and the team count on you. Because if you don't go to training Tuesdays and Thursdays and you don't show up on a Saturday, they won't have a team. And you've ruined it for everybody, for both sets of players. And so you just do that. And like, even if you win, you win nothing, right? So you're, you're training all season and you're playing on a Saturday just for the team, for the fun of being in a team, because you don't win anything, right? Even if you win, you win nothing. If you lose, you lose nothing. And so, you know, so often I've hired people who have done that, you know, or, you know, I've hired, uh, I had a lady work for me who was part of Team GB's gymnastics, international gymnastics team, you know, and she trained like every day for 10 years. Or I've had people who are former professional swimmers, you know, who would be up at four o'clock in the morning in the pool for three hours before the pool opened, before they went to work. And it's, you know, those, you can count on those people when they say, I'm going to do a thing. Hey, you know what? They're, they've got the personal grit and determination, even if they don't enjoy doing it, to go do it. It's one of the most important qualities, I think, that somebody can have. And it's something you build. And I, I can completely relate, even though I never, I never played a team sport. I was a dancer, but it's the same kind of like, if it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right, you know, and you're doing it every day. And, and it's some of my most fond memories because it's where I got my grit, you know, is these like Russian ballet teachers or I was in this hip hop company and my <laughs> his trainer was a drill sergeant, you know, standing over you like push-ups all day. And it's, yeah, it was like, it felt good. The pain <laughs> felt good yeah. because when you say you're going to do something and you do it enough, your word becomes becomes truth. Yeah. You know, and then you get to say things. I mean, Steve and I have been we, were, we took this program a long time ago where they had you do something called persistencies. It didn't matter what it was. It was just that you had to do it every single day. And it's a surprisingly hard thing to do. Yeah. You had to like you had to answer to your coach. You couldn't miss a day, right? And it was just the act of saying, I'm doing this every day and then doing it and building that self-confidence that, oh, when I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. So Steve and I have been doing these things, you know, for a long time. And it's fun because when you start setting your goals, then you're like, well, careful what you wish for, you know? Like if I put goals down, I'm going to do it because I can't not because I don't want to break my own word. <laughs> and then it, yeah. it's a totally different thing. Well, and, and then there's a whole load, because what I've got, I've got a terrible picture of a, an awful pair, pair of teeth that I show when I'm running a workshop. And I say, look, how many of you've got children? Most people have. How hard is it? Like, we've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so the seven-year-old is fine. It's like forever. The moment she could hold her own toothbrush, I'm going to brush my teeth. She'd brush her teeth 10 times a day if you let her. But the five-year-old, every day, it's like, I've already brushed them. I brushed them yesterday. I brushed them this morning. You've got to take her up and brush her teeth. Like, otherwise, she'll try to squirm out of it. But, you know, we all eventually get round to brushing our teeth twice a day at least, right? Otherwise, our teeth would fall out. But if you didn't do it for a while, nothing would happen for, you know, do you know what I mean? There's no immediate connection between brushing your teeth and not having awful teeth. And I don't think any of the things I teach clients are harder than brushing your teeth. But it's exactly what you said. It's that it's a daily persistence. 
And one of the reasons we say to people, look, you should do a daily huddle in your team, in your business. Everybody in your business should have a daily huddle because if you can do a daily thing, you can do a weekly thing, you can do a quarterly thing, and then you'll get the cadence up in your business and you'll get where you want to get to. You're absolutely right. And then uh, I, re- I was listening to this thing the other day, Mike Mosley, who wrote The 5-2 Diet, and, he, and he's done a series on BBC, BBC Sounds, which is what are the, what's the one thing you should do to delay aging? Um, and one of the things he said is stand on one leg for two minutes every day, each leg, two minutes every day. And you go, when would I do that? And then he says, well, when you're brushing your teeth, you stand on one leg in the morning and then you stand on the other leg in the afternoon. You're like "Ah, that perfect, right? Because then you have, then you have balance. And then as you get old, you don't fall down the stairs, break your hip, go to hospital and die. Right. So it's just, but it's just, then you just have to remember because it's easy to then put it in. And so sometimes I forget and it's like, I hate myself because I forgot. I'm like, how hard is that to remember to stand on your leg for two minutes? Right. Well, are you connected? Are you connected to the why of doing it? Right. Or like, do you believe it? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of uh, reminds me. I just started reading uh, Atomic Habits and he's Mm. like all about that. Have you heard of that book? Yeah. It's the little things added into something you already do. Celebrate it. These are the small wins that make a big difference over over a lifetime. Yeah. Well, They're not so sexy, um, though. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know whether it's the same book, but some of the other advice is, you know, tell somebody what you're doing. And yes. so I guess you and Steve do your persistencies and check in with each other. Yeah, yeah. Or, no, you, or, we... you, or, have a, or have a coach, right? So, you know, like have somebody that you feel it's a you bit like, when, you know, dancing or playing team sports, feeling like you have a responsibility to do something. And then there's another one which says, make it uh, like if you're going to do press ups, you say, I commit to just doing one a day. Because if you forget, then you can get your one in before you go to bed. But you won't. You'll probably do what, however many you were supposed to do. And the whole, you know, don't promise yourself to go to the gym, but promise yourself you'll drive past the gym. And so that's... I haven't because, heard that one. When all right, because that? that's... So what you do is you leave your gym gear in the car and you say, on the way to work, I'm going to drive past the gym. Because you can't not do that. Like, that's like there's no, there's, there's no sense of foreboding to drive past the gym but as you drive past the gym you want oh, you know what i may as well i'm here now i may as well stop whereas if you go go to the gym oh, i can't really i'm not really in the mood i can't really be bothered i can't you know i can't fit it in and so that whole breaking it down to a thing that you can't say no to yeah i mean well in the same vein i i have really bought into this idea so much so that i'm very wary of the things i say to myself that i'm gonna do like i don't commit to a lot of things for myself because i <laughs> won't because if i say i'm gonna do it like i better fucking do it like i you know I, i'll feel so i won't i'll feel so terrible about myself so i'm and very non-committal in a lot of things <laughs> but i also am very accountable like you know if i say i'm gonna do something i'm gonna do it i'm gonna so do what's everything the, uh, what's I the can. latest thing on your accountability list then what did you add in most recently oh no no i don't mean i'm doing persistencies all the time right I mean, that, that was like an exercise that we did, uh, okay. that people do, that people do. But I have like, no, we have all kinds of like uh, accountability, weekly accountability, three week, uh, you know, six week accountability. Yeah, all kinds of lists. But to me, I'm not, I don't really feel, I know most people do. Um, I, I feel weird saying I'm out of this, but like, I don't really feel accountable to Steve. I just, I feel very accountable to like myself. <laughs> like I've built that that thing and, and, and pretty self-hating when I don't do those things. <laughs> And the, and the other thing that I've really trained myself to do, because I, a long time ago, I remember reading this and I was like, yes, that is so, makes so much sense. People make goals like, you know, they do like uh, January goals year, yeah. right? Everyone does their resolutions. 
And I think they just said, when you think of the goal, forget the resolutions. When you think of the goal, do it right then and there. You know, so there have been many times where I like started working out after maybe not for a while. Yeah. And if I think of it, I'm like, do I want to do this? Then I better go to the gym right now or like today. If I because if I really want to do this, I need to do it today. I, I can't say like I'm going to start this next week. I don't really want to do it. If I'm, like I have to prove to myself that I really want to do it. And then that means I have to take action today. So that's a good thing. I, that's something I've been building on. Well, this I think losing weight and getting fit are interesting because people decide to lose weight. So they come away from their weight, right? And they get a bit less heavy. And then their motivation reduces because they've come away from the thing that they're moving away from. Whereas if you say, I want to get fit and I don't care about my weight, then it's moving towards something and then the weight will take care of itself. And, and yeah. so then, you, then you're on a journey and, and your motivation keeps going and your success motivates you and you keep going. But I think there's a great model for change. And it's like, you know, you decide you want to change, you start changing, it gets uncomfortable. Most people go back and then they sort of rationalize why that the change probably wasn't a good idea. Mm. Or that <laughs> we're or, very or, good at that. Or <laughs> our brains. Or the thing the thing they say they don't want must serve them in some way. So like there's no point in having a conversation to a smoker about not smoking, right? There's no, there's no rational argument that you can give them for giving up smoking that they don't already know. But smoking in some way must serve them. So it must be that being part of a community of smokers at work or something, something about their life and their habits and how it all fits together that smoking would be, they would feel that their life was less fulfilled or full if they no longer smoked. Smoking's a great one. I mean, I haven't smoked, and I only smoked for a little bit, but in a very long time, 15, 20 years. But man, like, you miss all the little things that you do when you smoke. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you, hey, like, you meet someone new, and if they smoke, it's like, well, let's go have a cigarette. You know, it's like such a yeah. social thing. It's such a fun thing. And, and, so, really and, cool. so there's, and so when anyone has a thing that they don't want to change, or they say they want to change but don't change, they, find that. there's something in there that serves them that they're not acknowledging because if they if they could see what that is then they've got a well, chance of changing it you must you must have to find that for your ceo and executive team clients all the time what kind of stuff do they want to hold on to being the nice uh, guy not wanting to fire people i don't know what I'm <laughs> guessing <laughs> yeah there's there is definitely some teams have a problem with conflict there's definitely that. And so, you know, Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team pyramid, you know, inattention to results at the top and at the bottom is trust. And because of that lack of trust, there's actually, there's, well, there's, there, there's fake harmony, right? So what happens is, and in fact, I had it, I was talking to a, a client the other week and he said, he said, uh, we were in a meeting and somebody, we disagreed about doing something and this guy went off and did it badly. And then it, the thing failed so that he could prove that he was right and I was wrong, said the CEO. And he said, but I called him out on it. I said, you haven't done a good job of that. You know, you've done that because, because you thought you were right and I was wrong. And so you've tried to prove to me that and it's, they just didn't have enough conflict. They, they didn't disagree and commit. They just didn't, right? You know, and so sometimes people are too polite. Mm. Uh, but what's interesting is nationalities are different. So East Coast, West Coast, U.S., East Coast seems to be a bit 
less polite than the West Coast. And then you get depends to depends on your you... your definition of polite, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the and then if I look at Europe, you know, you've got the UK very polite, definitely, you know, world leaders in queuing. And then you've got the Netherlands less polite. <laughs> and then we go to Poland. And we get to Poland and I've had guys that work for me from Poland to Bulgaria. They're brilliant. It's like the world is binary. You know, um, one client hired somebody who used to work for me from Poland and uh, they asked him to do a report on on an element of the business. And he generated, you know, 12 pages of what was shit. And and they said, he said, oh, my, this guy's done this report and it's just all the stuff that's broken. I said, well, what did you ask him to do? I said, he said, well, I asked him to do me a report on the team. I said, well, there's no point telling you what's good, is there? You're not going to fix that. So, you know, he's Eastern European. is just that sort of directness, bluntness. Mm -hmm. South Africans are the same. So, you know, that bluntness is can be really, really powerful. Sometimes, actually, there's an exercise that we do which helps me identify who it is. And sometimes it's the, not, it's the least somebody you wouldn't expect. So you, you draw three concentric circles. And what you do is you, you put your name in the middle. And if you really feel like you've got complete trust with anybody and you tell each other, you'd, you'd, you'd call each other out on anything, you put the names of the other people in the middle. If you don't trust them, you put them in the outside. And if you're, in fact, and so you put them in the middle. And what happens is typically there'll only be one person out of a team of eight people who have anybody in the outside ring. And so they're the person in the team who has no problem telling it how it is. And so they have a superpower for the team because everybody else is too conflict avoiding to to be direct but they are they'll call it out so when you're in a team meeting and somebody's talking bullshit they'll say that's just not true or i don't believe that or whatever it might be well isn't it the art of being able to be direct and honest without being rude and and uh you know confrontational like can't you be I mean when you're talking about this to me that just is a representation of different levels of being able to communicate effectively because if you're shouldn't you be able to be open and honest and it not well, be rude it just depends on so here's the thing right uh, I say as do, a born and bred New Yorker yeah let's do this it. test so if I'm standing okay. and I've got spinach in my teeth you're gonna tell, tell me? you in a second hundred right, okay what if my flies down <laughs> ah, you've had to Depends think about that. Depends who you is. Right, okay. Depends who you are. What, Depends the situation. What if, what if I've got BO? Definitely not. <laughs> right, so <laughs> I've done this, I've done that, sort of, let's make this more emotionally difficult for you to give me feedback exercise with thousands of people. 70% uh, of people say immediately, I tell you about spinach in your teeth, but 30% of people wouldn't even tell you you had spinach in your teeth. They would, they, and, and when you say, why not? They go, oh, just the idea of having that conversation with you makes me feel uncomfortable. So I couldn't tell you. Whew. And then we go, okay, well, what if your flies are down or, you, or, or you've tucked your skirt into your knickers as you've come out of the toilet, right? Like, who's going to have that conversation? It's about 50-50. If it was a right? woman, I'd feel totally different. Yeah, okay. But the thing is, so there's, there's, so there's okay. something about, there's something there about where you're yeah. comfortable. And sure, and there's then, like a camaraderie. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Sister, you've, uh, yeah. Yeah. you've done the thing we've all done. Yeah, or the same <laughs> with the guys. It's like, you know, it's much easier. And, and then the BO thing is like, you do that and it's like, depending on the company, it's somewhere between 70 and 90% of the people say, not a hope in hell, no chance. I'm not having that conversation. And then I say, okay, well, what if it's you that smells? And it gets to five o'clock and somebody does tell you and you realize that the people you've been sitting with all day must have known and they haven't told you. 
Right. How do you feel? Very uncomfortable. Yes. But you feel that they've let you down. Their lack of feedback to you has been a disservice to you. Interesting. And, and it's and it, and it's it's their they're feeling uncomfortable about helping you, which is the essence uh -huh. of Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, right? So I, I care deeply about you, so I'm gonna be really direct in terms of the yes. feedback I give you. And so and so that's that's at the heart of some of the work that we do with clients and their CEOs and their teams, because the company can never outperform the leadership team. And unless they can tell each other that they've got BO, because my, my hypothesis is, if you can't tell me I've got BO, you're not going to tell me I'm not very good at my job, mm -hmm. right? In a, in a way that is constructive and helpful because there's, this is emotionally charged. I'm the sales director. You're the marketing director. I'm going to tell you that marketing sucks or you're the ops director and we keep dropping the ball. Now I've got to say, I think like, and so what people do is they, they sort of, they take a step back. One guy said to me, he said, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And it's like, so we've got, we've got this sort of unwritten rule that we don't criticize each other because if I criticize you, you might criticize me and I know my house isn't in order. And so that happens a lot where you've got this sort of fake trust and fake harmony and nobody's pushing each other. And then you give people the room to start pushing and some people will step up and that's when some people will get off the bus because they just aren't comfortable with that. So they'll go and they'll go and work in another company where that everyone type will normal, keep the status where that quo. type of normal yeah. behavior is OK. And they have and mediocrity is OK. Interesting. Can that be translated to a very small business and or a group of friends and or a family? Oh, I think. <laughs> so I think families are hard. I think families, families sort of are what they are, you know, like, cause you've got a whole, so much history and you know, like what's the purpose of the change? Right. You right? can't so, go to another family. Yeah. You know, <laughs> family are sort of the friends that you wouldn't have picked, but a group of friends, I think a group of friends, probably you could have a group of friends which are very direct or you have a group of friends who aren't. But it's right. interesting, you know, so think about your friends and would you tell your friends they had BO and would they tell you? Interesting. You know, Only a um, couple. But my yeah. closest friends, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Steve That's what you're you. looking at them for. That's <laughs> yeah, why we're totally. looking for friends because well, we have right, that trust. Right. So you see in a, t in a team, you know, if you look at high performing sports teams, they might not all be on each other's Christmas card list, but the level of feedback they give each other is very frank, very brutal, direct, right? right? And, and then you look at a company and they say, oh, our, you know, our model is to be a family. It's like, mm, okay, I don't, you know, okay, are you going to find Families your are very conflicting. Yeah, yeah families have you know, a lot of issues. You know, so if you're not prepared, <laughs> if you're prepared to fire your sister, you're not a family because nobody gets to fire their children or their sister. Even if you don't like them, you're still in the family. There's nothing you can do about it. Whereas, and then it's like, you know, are you in the beer leagues or are you trying to be in the Premier League, right? So do we want this executive team to be a high-performing team or not? And if we do, we've got to start behaving like we would if we were a high-performing team. So we've got to give you, we've got to learn to give each other. So you start by giving praise because that's, but that makes, that's incredible. You know, you take a team of eight executives in a room, they all have to write down what they really admire about everybody else in the room. Then we start with the CEO and you say it. We go all the way around and some people, they just die. People are only being nice to them. We're not, we're not even giving, we're not even giving any criticism, but 
they haven't even got a practice of giving praise to each other. So there's n almost no feedback going on at all. And so we start there or we use something like Gallup Strengths mm -hmm. because that gives us a vocabulary to give feedback and depersonalize the feedback. So for example, if you had Achiever, so if you were driven and you were self-motivated, that's brilliant. But the downside of that, the basement of that might be that you didn't say thank you to people and you didn't celebrate success. And mm. so I, then potentially I've got, I can say, Pierre, you, you know, you've got Achiever, that's great, but you know what? You're not saying thank you and that's undermining how great you could be. But now, because I know it's part of your sort of your makeup, I, I'm less nervous about bringing it up. I've now got, we've now got this vocabulary of words that we can use to talk about behavior and impact. Wow. Fascinating. So you're really their therapist too. <laughs> There are no. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of. <laughs> but there are no, days. It, there are days that it feels a bit like that. Yeah. Does anyone ever cry? Uh yeah, yeah. I bet people, people cry. Especially if you I'm don't not, do a lot of this kind of work. Not they don't cry very often, but I have had with joy. Maybe also, I'm not saying you make them cry. <laughs> yeah, I I think those sessions can get very emotional. I bet. Yeah, praise is an interesting thing. It's like Steve and I as business partners and husband and wife talk about it a lot because it depends on like your your level of comfort with praise. Being praised and giving praise has a lot to do with how you were raised, you know? I wasn't raised with like a lot of praise in my family. Can't you tell? I'm like not good. I'm like uncomfortable with it. I'm uncomfortable getting it. I'm uncomfortable giving it. Isn't that weird? I mean, yeah. I, I'm aware of it, so I kind of, I probably overcompensate a little bit, but this is like a gen in your makeup because of just, just the way that you're raised. Meanwhile, I have a lot of friends who praise a lot, probably because I didn't get enough praise as a kid. And in their families, it's like everything's praised. So they're just, they're just giving it away, you know? Yeah. These are the people I'm attracted to. I need that. I need to know everything's okay. You know, it's funny, isn't it? You look back at your parents and you, whatever their parenting style was, you are, you know, you are a, an output of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember playing rugby and and my dad watching me for the first time in my 40s. Really? He'd never see he, and 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 my mother said to me, "Did you play rugby when you were at school?" <laughs> and it's like, well, only every three times a week, you know. And <laughs> right. it's like, I don't know. It's so it's just funny, different parent different parents, you know, whereas now you've got, you know, people wouldn't miss a single play school nativity. Right. Oh, you think that's a, a, a that's a sign of the times? Well, maybe. I, there was a there was a really interesting report that I read that said they had worked out the age. I think it was. I don't know whether it was UK or US parents, but or mothers. But it was the age at which, as a mother, you would feel comfortable for your child to go out on their own. And thirty years ago, it was like it was like six or nine or ten or whatever it was, right? And I remember as a kid. We used to go to school and come back from school on the bus at primary school all the time, right? And now it's 14, really? right? And it's just, and it's this sort of recency bias, you know, uh, because you'll see a child abduction in New Zealand and it'll be on your phone. And then every mother's oh, child abduction, you know, or high school shooting or, you know, whatever yeah. it is that makes you nervous. And it's like anywhere in the world, it can be on your phone and in front of you and, and can have an impact on on how you how you perceive risk and fear. I think about that a lot with sharks. 
at the beach. I'm <laughs> a shark fear. I love the beach, but I'm always like looking up statistics because I'm like, what is the likelihood that there's a shark at this beach? There was a shark killing on the East Coast yeah, four months where? ago. Yeah. And yeah. How many millions of Somebody. people have been to the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Meanwhile, I drove 13 hours to get here and was mo- very likely to die on that drive <laughs> because car accidents are like yeah. a leading cause of death. Yeah, but it's not. But that's not what it's about. It's not logic. It's emotional. Oh, I don't want to die by shark. By shark everything's, bite. Everything's <laughs> emotional. Yes. All our decisions are driven driven by that. But we're not usually aware of it or thinking but about that's, it. But that's your right? that's your entire thesis. Badass yes. Your Brand is all about, not about the widgets and all about the emotion. That's why people buy. That's why people connect. I'm starting to think information doesn't matter at all. It's just all personality and how you connect. That's why we're not talking about anything specific here. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? <laughs> it's your podcast. You can talk about whatever you like. You know, originally I was thinking about this podcast and I thought, I could do like, I could be doing a teaching series, like I could have all these topics and I could explain stuff and we just decide I'm going to go like the Joe Rogan style. We're just going to talk about whatever comes to mind and let's just see how that goes. Maybe people will like it. So far, they seem to like it. You guys like it, right? Yeah. I I think it's great. (laughs) Yeah. And then I get to have fun with people like you. And I feel like, I mean, gosh, you actually just dropped so much knowledge and made me think so many different things about. I mean, I don't have a, a, a big team. I have a small team right now, and I usually don't even imagine growing a team, but just the idea of these interpersonal relationships and how much they're connected to the lifeblood of a business is just fascinating. Yeah. Well, how did you I learn think you that? Can, oh, I, I, I learned some of the technical skill at Rackspace when we were scaling that business. And then the emotional stuff probably... When I, or definitely when I was at Pier One, I went on to the, we did a, we, one of the things that we do is we do an executive team retreat every quarter for a week. Cause we were a team of executives across Canada, US and UK. And we were in seven different locations, multiple time zones. So we never spent any time together. So what we did is we said, right, well, the team, the team will never be better than, the company will never be better than the team. Gary Sherlock, who was the CEO at Pier 1, said, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to invest a week, a quarter, and we're not going to talk work when we're together. We're going to travel on a Monday, travel on a Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to rent a house, and we're going to cook for each other, and you know, we're going to have some facilitators in, and we're going to work on our, on our relationship. And the first day we did that, look, I'm quite chatty, right? And it got to lunchtime, and he said, Dom, you haven't said anything. And I said, I said, look, if you look at an old map of the world, lots of it was pink, part of the British Empire, and all of that was stiff upper lip. You know, we didn't, we didn't go around talking about our feelings. I said, and so that part of the British character, I said, you were sitting here and it's all bloody come by on hugging and it's making me feel really uncomfortable. So I'm just going to sit here quietly till I feel able to participate. So that then you've got to say, well, am I going to get involved, take part? join in, you know, embrace this, or am I going to leave? And so I decided to get stuck in and, you know, what a fantastic team that was to work with. Great friends with most of those guys still. You know, we just had a Zoom reunion a couple of weeks ago and being on holiday with them, you know, just great journey for five years, scaling up Pier 1 and selling it. And so that, you know, there's the 
there's this sort of you know tool set around what do you do to scale a business but then there's that other stuff which is like well how do we build this team and you know so i can not all clients go as far into that as others you know because it depends probably on the ceo and the team but it's it's there and and i you know i think that's really important as part of the you know because the the you know like have we got a purpose you know have we got have we got a BHAG? do we have core values all of that you know like where are we going what culture are we trying to build is all important but still the ceo casts a long shadow and the executive team the company can never outperform the executive team so we you know this team has to come together and be a team and learn to trust each other and have constructive conflict because if it can't it won't reach its potential yeah that makes a lot of sense and are you because you're in the uk i actually i had a client a couple of years ago she wanted to go into much more like life coaching like coaching like entrepreneurial women and life coaching but she's british mm-hmm. and she was saying that she thought that it you know that the culture just didn't lend itself as much to people looking for this kind of support and at the same time this was her take not mine i you know wasn't sure she said at the same time i don't think not the way in america like everyone's a coach everyone's working with a coach and a therapist and you know they're all like trying to hit their feelings she's like i don't think it really hit the uk yet and so we were kind of going back and forth on well does that make it a really exciting opportunity for you or a really tough market um do you a lot of your clients are a lot of your clients in the uk and do you feel like Uh, you know that personality i've got got clients in the us and i don't think it's easier for them no necessarily and it's a self-selecting group of people certain kind of person that gets on an executive team of a company it is and i think the ceos are all lifelong learners yes and they're all very humble and they would have coming, to be to hire you because you yeah, told so them you told them to leave if they <laughs> weren't ready yeah right? so and so and they want they want to understand what they could do themselves and with the team to get the success that they think the team could achieve and and so you know we i don't know if we're doing a two-day off-site we might do i don't know half a day we might do a, a half a day on people sort of two half days on strategy and a, and a half day on execution or maybe whole day on execution. But there's typically a, you know, 25% of the time I'll spend with clients is around that team development. That sounds like fun. I wish I had also had a different life where I could do things like that. <laughs> you can do whatever you like. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think it's important to have scaled businesses like that, right? To like bring that, I, I think there's a lot of people doing what you do that don't have that kind of background at all. Yes. I think it makes I, I a think, big difference. I think that is definitely true. So I feel I'm lucky that I stumbled into Pier One and then embraced that because that definitely set me up for success. Then the other thing that we've done is actually when we work with clients, the the ones in Australia and the US not so much, but the rest we work with them here on the farm. So the exec they come here for two days every quarter. What do you mean and on so the we farm? Take, so we take them out of London or wherever they are, Bradford, or and we bring them down here for two days. And so, you know, it's that not, it's, it's different to being at work. Because again, I knew that, that 
that was different for us at Pier 1 because we went into, you know, we rent a house for a week. And so I think that's a big difference. That helps people. Because when I was doing it in London, before we built the management lab, you know, you do it in a hotel, but people are paying. There's a, there's a friction around paying for a hotel. And I couldn't always control the experience because the coffee might be crap or the food might be crap or we might be in a basement room or it might be too hot or too cold. So that was annoying. And if we did it in clients' offices, what would happen is, you know, it'd be coffee break and somebody would just nip out for coffee and then they'd never come back because they got something important happened and they felt that that was more important. Than- Sometimes they didn't even tell us they weren't coming back. You know, we'd all sit there for half an hour. So you take everybody off site and you say, right, you're not going to need your phone and you're not going to need your laptop. You can put them in a bag and you can put them away. And then sometimes what we do is we take all the tables out as well. So there's just a circle of chairs and that makes people feel really comfortable. Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> yeah. people, like, because people come in and they just yeah. they, put, they sit on the desk, they sit in their chair, they pop the laptop up and they're behind the laptop and they're like, right. you know, I've got, I've got my deflector screen up. Um, yeah, that's definitely therapeutic. <laughs> yeah. Sounds- like, um, that's very cool. Well, Donic, what's next for you? Or, or not that you should be doing something next. Like, what's your big vision? What's your... I don't know. I've written another book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Just finished editing that. That's how probably we'll get that published at Christmas. Well, I'll tell you what we're doing. The next thing we do is last year for, this, for, the, for COVID, nobody had been to a business conference. So normally I'd go to several conferences a year, mostly in the US. Clients would do different things and nothing had happened. So uh, there, was this, there was this window of opportunity in the UK in the second week of September. Uh, summer, the, 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 the second lockdown hadn't started. So we ran a business summit. And we had eight amazing speakers, six of whom did workshops, and we had 54 clients turn up on the phone. And so we're just finishing off the preparations for our, our next one, which is on the 14th of September. And maybe this year, because COVID will be less. We might have 85 or so people here for the day. Eight oh, more wow. speakers, six more workshops. So we're just uh, sorting that out. And that's oh, just, man. you know, just that's a sort of give back to our clients because it's great to work with them. And then what else could we do to bring them all together? Because it's amazing when you bring them together that, you know, you can create a community. Yeah. And it's all the little things that happen in between, too, that don't happen on Zoom. Yeah. Weird. Talk, walk into the bathroom or you know, like yeah. having this coffee over there. You know, when the COVID started, we went from being 100% in person to being 100% on Zoom. And then again, there was this window of opportunity where we could get to Spain. Spaniards couldn't come to the UK, but we could go to Spain. So Carlos and I, Carlos is my accountability coach. He and I jumped on a plane and we went down to Spain and we did a two-day onboarding for one of our, for our Spanish client. And, it, and we'd, because we'd done sort of three months of Zoom, like you'd forgotten the difference you, you did and so we went and it was like oh man that was that if that if face to face is 100% zoom about 70% so it's functional yeah but all of that sort of emotional stuff that that people connecting that's really 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 hard like impossible almost yeah. to do on zoom like that is the type of you know stuff that's ha- it's a conversation in a room uh, where everybody has to be present and, you know, they're not all on Zoom doing their email at the same time, sort of only paying half attention. So I've missed that and I'm glad that that's back. And it'll Very be nice cool. to get, um, be great to get the clients back on the farm in September for the summer. Yeah. Very cool. And what's your book called? Yeah. Oh, I haven't given it a title yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it, broadly speaking, yes. it is, it's 10 myths 
okay. that hold you back when you're scaling a business. So it's 10 things that people think are true, and I think the opposite is true. So for example, it. people yeah. think you should pay salespeople commission. I believe all the evidence suggests that salespeople are just people. And when you look at the evidence of whether you pay piece rate to people, whether you get a better solution or not, the evidence suggests that you don't. So for some reason, we believe salespeople all should all get commission, but I don't think that's true. I think you should have an intrinsically motivated sales team. Now, if it's a transactional-based organization and you're just order taking, okay, fine. Maybe not a lot to win there. But actually, I think you could you could get away with not having sales commission. In so many tech companies, it's an engineering business started by an engineering founder. And the salespeople don't actually win the deal. The technical people win the deal. And yet, and so this, you've got these two things. And so if I was... You know, if you were a coder and I said, oh, Pia, I'm going to pay you per line of code, immediately pay people say, well, don't be ridiculous. Pia would just write lots of short lines of code. Or uh, if it was she was in tech support and I was saying close tickets, you just close tickets. Like whether the customer was happy or not, you do that. And you go, so but now we're going to pay salespeople to close deals. Oh, they might close the wrong type of deal with the wrong type of customer. Really? there's a surprise oh is that what happens oh yeah we spend all our time building sales commission plans to try and get the salespeople to do the thing we want them to do what if we just got rid of the money and paid them enough and said do what's right for the customer then we'd be in a much better place so so there's there's and there's 10 there's 10 wow. more there's nine more oh. of those okay no i love it <laughs> have you implemented that uh in some companies yes uh there's a book called the machine by justin roth marsh and so he, he lays out an entire, so he and I agree on the no commission and he lays uh -huh. out an entire system that goes behind that. So yes, we've done non-commission with clients and we've also worked with Justin and implemented the machine with clients as well. And so one of, one of his things is, uh, so we both agree on no commission, but he also says salespeople should just sell. And most of the time, if you look at a business, the salespeople are spending about 25% of their time selling and the rest of the time they're doing all sorts of other admin or admin. customer service activity. Mm -hmm. So if salespeople have a skill, if they can manipulate conversation for commercial gain, you'd want them to be doing that 80% of their time. Mm. And if, you do, if you're doing that and you love doing that, why would you want to do anything else? You don't need to pay people to try and motivate them to pay. You're like, you know, if you were a dancer, you wouldn't get, you know, you wouldn't do it for the money. You'd get enough right. money. Well, actually, you no, know, as a dancer, you probably do it and you get less than you Probably you don't deserve. get paid <laughs> at all. <laughs> right. And right. When I was playing rugby, I never got paid to pay. I never got paid to play rugby. I did it because I love doing it. You know what? I just realized so many people hate sales. The people who are coming up with this pay structure are probably people who don't like sales. So they're imagining the only way I would do this is if I was had some sort of carrot. Otherwise, yes. I wouldn't do it at all because I hate sales. Maybe that has something to do with it. I'm just guessing. Yes, totally. Well, and then and then the other thing they do is they say. The sales, the sales people that I hate, double glazing salesmen, secondhand car dealers, like sleazy sales. And that to me is that sort of transactional sales driven by commission. If you do it the other way around and you say, look, um, how, let's go and find a customer, find a problem they've got and then offer to solve their problem for them. Then that's, you know, then I'm, a, then that's consultative selling. That's what I'm doing. I'm not taking an order. Right. I'm actually going and saying, Pia, you got up this morning, you weren't thinking of doing this thing because otherwise you'd be ringing me and placing an order. So I'm going to persuade you 
there's a problem that you have that I know how to fix, that the reason you haven't rung me is because, A, you didn't know I could do it, and also maybe you didn't know the problem could be solved. But I work with people like you with this problem all the time. What do you think? And, you know, so it's been that sort of approach of getting salespeople to just do sales and not pay them commission has been transformative for some clients. I love it. For some, it's too much. Yeah, (laughs) right. One thing at a time. I love it. And I can't wait to see what the other nine are. So keep us posted and we'll we'll share it around. But anyway, it's been such a pleasure, Dominic. Thanks so much for coming on the show and shooting the shit with me and it's, making you know this what? an X-rated show. And <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I, it's, I think podcasts are fab. You know, I it's great to have you on, you know, on my show and come on here and talk to you. But like without podcasts, you know, we wouldn't have met. We wouldn't have that conversation. But it's also, you get to, uh, so you just get the hat, you read somebody's book and you say, oh, this is great. I wish I knew this person. And then because of podcasts, you get to go, hey, should we have a chat? Get to know Absolutely. people. It's fab. I know. It's great. And from all over the world, which yeah. is so cool. I feel like I know you, Dominic. <laughs> yeah. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, keep me posted on your new book. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Speak to you soon. If you want some more golden nuggets from Dominic, you should definitely subscribe to his podcast, The Melting Pot. You can also go hear our conversation from a couple months ago on there. And if you own a technology firm, or even if you don't, you can pick up his book, Fuck Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Follow him, if only, just to get ready to get information about his upcoming book that I will be definitely checking out. Taking inspiration from Dominic today, I think one of the best things that I got out of that conversation is just the idea that if we are not ready to be uncomfortable, to change, we will not grow. Growth is challenging because growth requires change. And a lot of us are stuck in our ways and we don't even know it. Sometimes I wish I was in a company just so I could go through some of those training exercises that he puts his clients through. But, you know, I guess that's what coaching programs and masterminds are for. And that's why I'm always a part of them. It is so helpful to have other people ask you questions and push you out of your comfort zone so that you can really look at yourself and say, am I willing to adapt and grow and change to get the business that I want? And am I in the way of getting what I want? And usually the answer is yes. So today I just want you to use this episode to inspire you to think about how are you holding yourself back? And are you scared enough of change that you're not allowing yourself to move into the place that you need to be in order to grow the business that you want? Getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and getting comfortable with change is absolutely a brilliant next step if you want to show your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Steve Wastervall. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. Western Runners.